Hey guys, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Chris. It's a rainy, rainy day down here in Berry, and uh, we had we lucked out with the most gorgeous day yesterday. And we did this big bike ride, and we got lovely dehydrated and exhausted. And then Lottie did her running, and I stood and watched, and uh, did yesterday's podcast. So this morning we got up ready for a run, but oof, the rain came. So we're going to do a little flat ride in the rain later on this morning. So given that we're indoors and given that we're waiting for the rain, I thought I'd pop out a little podcast. And today's topic, post-birthday, is the universal laws of nature. And um, if, there is, if there's anything that uh, I will leave this planet having made a contribution to people's lives it is the the concept of a universal law of nature so let me just explain what is a universal law and why these things are so important to people first of all there are laws that run the universe so if i say to you there are universal laws it can become quite confusing because you think that uh, those laws are morals or ethics or codes of behavior such as a religion would uh, project you know God said you, you you shouldn't shit in your underpants and if you do you'll go to hell well or don't leave your shoes at the back door because the cat will drag them away or make sure you wash the dishes or the ants will come no those are human laws they are not universal laws and when people say God said those laws in books uh, that's really not the truth uh, so anyway I don't want to get into the concept of religion I respect it I value it and it's got a treasured place in the world universal law as I'm trying to describe here is a spiritual principle and a spiritual principle means it has no moral or ethical base so uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is I studied universal laws, which is f fundamentally Egyptology. And Egyptology goes back about 5,000 years pre-Christianity. Uh, 5,000 years pre-BC. So if you go back that far, it's before every religion on earth was conceptualized. And if you go onto the sides of the pyramids, what you find is stories about people walking on water, and people being crucified, and people rising from the dead, and all the stories that have become uh, religious stories were stamped onto the sides of the pyramids, but they were never, ever uh, intended to be real. What they were were astrological descriptions of what goes on in the universe, and they were trying to communicate and, and make register what's called a universal law. So a universal law means that if you're up on the moon or out on Mars or even further away in the multitudes of billions of galaxies that exist on this planet, on this in this universe, you would find the law uh, still holds. Now that's all very nice. We know that there are things that make planets spin and stars go around and dust turn into things and dust become things we know that the universe is is in order otherwise it would crash into itself so 
all the planets and stars and everything going on out there in space has something that keeps it organized. A centrifugal force, centripetal force, gravitational forces, all these things work to make it all stay in place, if you, as it were. Light travels through space in the form of a photon, splits when it slows down into a proton electron and becomes things like car doors, refrigerators, beer and nice red wine. It also becomes things like cancer, things like uh, sinusitis and things like uh, hemorrhoids. So all of the universe really uh, uh, filters down through the concept of light down into things. So a universal law is, is, the, is the basis for explaining how all those laws work together. And what I did, although there are many, many universal laws, uh, such as uh, uh, the law of entropy and entropy, which basically suggests that 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 you can't uh, uh, that there is a there is a closed loop of energy that you can't destroy things. You can only change the structure of them and turn them from vapor into ice or from vapor into uh, gas. So these this very compli- complicated universe, which the uh, which the Egyptians knew a long time before religion came onto the planet and described by storytelling on the sides in hieroglyphics in the sides of pyramids really explains how life can happen on earth and it's not meant to be um, David Attenborough talking about the extinction of a species or somebody else talking about global warming or anything else what they're meant to be is before it explains what goes on before all that. And the reason that I translated or transcribed these into the laws of nature is because, in, in a sense, I saw, especially after the World Trade Center, I saw religions trying to petition people into in or out of a, a collective thought process. And I wanted to make the universal laws, which are quite distant and remote, I wanted to make them access accessible for everybody on Earth because nature exists everywhere. And so I don't really want to have a fight with anybody. I don't want to have a debate with anybody. I don't want to suggest that any religion is wrong or right. Uh, I don't want to participate in that argument. What I wanted to do was provide a sense of distance from those religions so that we don't necessarily take them as being a mechanism for dividing humanity. In the process of doing that, bringing these laws of nature down into accessibility for all of us to understand, what I had to do was describe their application to business, to health, to social life, to romance, uh, and and to uh, 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 financial mastery, to spiritual awareness. I had to describe how to bring a law of nature into the mastery of an aspect of life. You know, there are seven areas of life, spiritual, mental, social, career, financial, health, and relationship. And and bringing the, it's no use saying, well, a law of nature is balance and walking away from it. The question is, how does that law of nature, the law of balance, for example, apply in relationship? How does it apply in the mastery of business? How does it apply in the mastery of finance? And by bringing the laws down into real everyday 
mastery of aspects of life. I was able to, uh, let's say, create a unification of of a thought process around the world. So anybody, whether you're living in a desert or by the beach or in poverty or in wealth or in uh, intense business dis- uh, practices or in a social work environment, you could take the same law and apply it for the mastery of your area of life and not get confused by the things that create ego and the things that create um, identity and the things that create uh, personality and the things that create separation between us and another human being. It, it, it is sort of like, a, it's not a privilege to know the laws of nature, it's a human right. But once you know a human law, a law of nature, and you apply it to a human existence, you, you develop a sort of, a, in a sense, a sort of a, an awareness of the unconsciousness that permeates mass consciousness. Now, that becomes quite a challenge because once you realize that most people are running on emotion, whether it's in relationship or in uh, business or in their social life or in their sporting life, they're running on emotion. And when you realize those emotions are doctored by our uh, our history, by the indoctrination of teachings, by religions, by teachers, by the rights and wrongs of our moral code, by cultures, by mindsets, by fears, by all the sorts of things. Once you realize how much delusion or distortion runs the main theme of the planet, even presidencies and and elections are all run on distorted perception because they defy nature's universal laws. And nature's universal laws can't be defied. They can only, uh, let's say, sit in the background while emotions and what we think we call free will uh, dominates uh, our, our circumstances. So that's sort of the background as to why I think knowing the universal laws is such a privilege and plus, knowing the universal laws is such a, a challenge to bring when we bring it down into real everyday life because it's dis, a little disappointing that you can't uh, live in the mass unconsciousness, live in the mass thought process because our stories become fake and our identity becomes a, a construct and our, our, our fears become, uh, well, just exactly that. They're just invented emotions. And we start to realize that we spend a lot of time in fight-flight, uh, very primitive behavior, not based on anything that's real, but based on memories that have been handed to us or social socialized conditioning or um, taught processes such as there's global warming, fear the worst. And you go, well, they can't be... And, and, and global warming is a real, very, very real thing, but fearing it might not be the wisest thing to cause it to stop. So let's just go quickly now at the end of this uh, little podcast that I'm doing indoors. Let's just go quickly through the five uh, universal laws where I've distilled it all down to. So if you go outside, you look at a tree, the first thing you'll notice is there's branches on the tree that are dying and branches on the tree that are growing. So what you're going to realize is there's some form of balance taking place in, in nature. 
that there is a, f a bushfire and then there's a flood. There's tides coming in and tides going out. What you're going to realize is that nature is seeking balance, continually seeking balance in all things. And it's the same with the earth and the sun. It's the same with an atom and a molecule. It's always seeking balance. And the scope of that search is to the human eye quite uh, broad. We say summer and winter, which is six months apart. But in reality, if you were to really get a microscope and take a look at any fraction of a gigasecond, balance exists. So the seeking of balance is a very externalized view of the law of balance. The law of balance basically said nothing's out of balance. It can't be. Simply by throwing one atom in the entire universe out of balance, we would destroy the universe. Now we move a, a molecule out of balance, an atom, and create a bomb. But, there, it, but it's not so far out of balance that, that it bombs the rest of the whole planet. So nature is in balance, and you're in balance. And no matter how much we think that we're out of balance, we're not out of balance. We're in balance. We just can't see the other side. And it's called non-local reality. Non-local reality means that while I might see a bushfire in Australia burning through uh, and killing all the kangaroos and koala bears and have media and people rushing around to rescue everything, which is really very emotional, and very, very important and very kind and generous. Somewhere on the other side, there's an animal being born. Somewhere on the other side, there's a, um, a, a species being developed that wasn't here before. And so we see local reality and we live in local reality. And therefore, we have from time to time the perception of imbalance. But there can't be. So we might say, oh, look, it's my birthday. Oh, look at all the presents I've got. We can see local reality. We can see what's real or where we're happy, we're up. But we don't see the decay of our body and the, the exhaustion of the mind and the, and the dep deprecation of our bank account, which we are not looking at at the time. So there's a local reality and there's non-local reality. And put the two together and you, there will not be a second in your life that you're out of balance. So the first law of nature is balance. And applying that to business makes you smarter than other people that run by emotion. Applying that to relationship makes you smarter than other people that are run by emotion. And it actually shifts you out of mass consciousness and therefore makes it harder to manipulate you. So that's the first law. And, and it takes, well, I think four or five years to really be able to apply that law universally and feel comfortable. The second law is the law of growth. Now, the law of growth defies every promise ever made in self-help. When we promise people to be happy, promise people to be uh, peaceful, we promise people to be compassionate, we promise people to be kind, we promise people that if you do X, Y, Z, you will get somewhere that is finite, that will be finished. You become kind, you become something, you become success, you become healthy. All the promises that are made all the promises that made end up in a finite place, a finished, completed, path ended, that's the finish of it. And the law of growth completely takes that and smashes it to bits. And it says, have you ever seen the growth rings of a tree? 
when you hit a growth ring of a tree, yep, there's peace, there's, uh, there's harmony, there's, uh, there's instantaneous happiness, there's gratification of the grandest kind, but 10 seconds after that, uh, that moment, the tree starts to drop the bark and goes into trauma again. So peace and war become partners because you grow into peace, but you go through peace into the next calamity. You go into uh, um, um, uh, compassion, and just as you get to the point, you go, wow, look at me, I'm so compassionate. You boom, something comes along and makes you judge and criticize and condemn because you've grown into a new uh, frustra, a new element of life. And, and so instead of having the expectation of arriving somewhere that's finite, complete, finished and done, we have a, a, re a realistic understanding of how the universe works, how nature works. It grows in frustras. And so we cycle in and out of these things. And just because we lose peace and we get angry, it doesn't mean that we've reverted back into our old behavior. What, means it, what it means is we've grown through something into something. We've grown into the next frustra. And we, the expectation, a realistic, honest, human nature expectation of our lives is, yes, we grow, we aspire to achieve something, but the minute we achieve it, we want more. And, and that is a, a really important thing to understand because discontent is a really important part of contentment. Failure is a really important part of success. Feeling um, uh, insecure is a really important part of feeling secure. Feeling unconfident is a really important part of feeling confident. Feeling shy is a really important part of being brave. So instead of having these finite descriptions of identity and ego, we have a more realistic love for ourselves, more realistic love for others, and more realistic, realistic expectation of others and how human behavior works. And yes, we do bait the hook and say, if you do this, I will give you that. If you do this, I'll help you be content. But we don't do it on the basis that, that that's where it finishes. We say, I'll, if you do this, I'll help you be content, and then I'll do something else to help you be content again because you'll lose it straight away. And that's the evolution of humanity. That's how we evolve. The law of growth is really the law of evolution. It's how it all works. And to understand that takes another five years, fully applying it to financial, social, career, health, relationship, etc. The, the third law is the doozy of them all. The third law is the law of entropy and, and uh, entropy and entropy enthalpy, I can't even get it right. And basically it means is we're in a closed loop, that nothing's ever missing. Now, I would say to myself about a million times a day, I think I need nothing, I want nothing, I have everything. I need nothing, I want nothing, and therefore I have everything. I need nothing, I want nothing, and therefore I have everything. Now, the reason I say that is to allow me the privilege of having goals. Have, look, to allow me the privilege of having appetites and desires and ambitions and visions and dreams without becoming those things. In other words, by saying I need nothing, want nothing, have everything, I have love for life. I have love for things as they are. I need nothing right now. I want nothing right now. And therefore, I have everything right now. It basically gives me ground zero. 
And when I saw the World Trade Center come down and they started describing the, the wreckage on the ground as ground zero, I really thought that's a beautiful description of what happens when things collapse and we lose grip on things we want and we lose our goals, we don't achieve things we want or we do achieve them and become attached. And what it does by saying, I need nothing, I want nothing, and therefore I have everything, it gives us everything we could ever want for the entirety of our life today. It means that we're perfect as we are. It means there's nothing to change. But we still have the privilege and the right and the necessity for goals and visions and dreams and self-help and self-growth and improvement and, and appetites for getting better and better and better. It just means we don't attach to that as much and therefore we don't experience the degree of pain people have when they lose things or get or the degree of fantasy they get when they get things. It's this beautiful law that connects us to the earth, it connects us to creation and it connects us to our spirit. So this third law, it takes another five years to really embed that into the back of our consciousness because we're taught the opposite. The fourth law is the law of vibration. That everything on earth vibrates. That whether you're looking at a book, as I am right now on a bookshelf, or trees out in the garden uh, with the rain, or a bike, a rock, concrete, the refrigerator, everything is vibrating. And electricity is just vibration. Light is just vibration. Um, people are just vibration. And, and things vibrate according to their kind. So the vase that I'm looking at on the shelf was made by something. It looks like it doesn't vibrate, but if you pulled it apart, it's full of atoms, molecules, and subatomic particles, and they vibrate. That's the definition of an atom, molecule, and subatomic particle. They vibrate. And the human mind is one of the few things that we, can, we have access to that can change the vibration, it, because that's what a thought is. Thought is a vibration. So thoughts turn into things. So if we vibrate according to the kind, if we choose the thought that we want to, that we want to, uh, that, that, that of the of the thing we want to manifest, we are vibrating at the kind. So in other words, if I want to manifest a billion dollars, if that becomes my want, uh, my goal, my ambition, then I need to vibrate at that level. And to vibrate at that level, I have to think at that level. To think at that level means generically, not just every now and again, sit down and go, I want a million dollars, I want a billion dollars. It's you vibrate at the, at the tone of a billion billionaire. Now, this is, this is how winners win. This is how Olympians win events. This is how teams collaborate. This is how businesses manifest. This is how families stay together. This is how people fall apart because they vibrate according to their own kind. And, they, and people vibrate emotionally and they vibrate as losers and then they um, uh, marry someone who's a winner and they expect the merging of those two vibrational energies to become better. But it's not, it's an averaging. And so a wealthy person marries a poor person, they will end up half wealthy, half poor. It, the vibrations merge and we merge physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially. We, we merge our vibration with another person. And that's why gratitude becomes an important thing because gratitude, in a sense, if it's really understood, is a very influential thought on our vibration. 
dark vibratory thoughts are things like hate, anger, sadness, misery, depression, frustration, uh, uh, greed, and all the core uh, lust. These are very dark vibratory thoughts, and they manifest in kind. And high vibratory thoughts are things like kindness, generosity, visionary, um, and of course, king of them all is gratitude and love. So what we can love, we will cause. And this is, this bec this is the fourth law, is the total law of human empowerment. This, is, this law is how we can turn what we want into what we've got. And do we do it through thought, the power of thought. And all the greats, no matter whether it's been a sporting great or a musical great or a uh, academic great or a business great, all the greats have been able to take a thought, which is an idea, and manifest it into reality by focusing on it, by, by holding that space, by being selfish about that thought and not being drawn down into the lower mud of the lower uh, thought process, which is what's wrong with me, what's wrong with you, what's wrong with life, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, which, is, which ends up being a life of misery. Unfortunately, sometimes we people uh, uh, marry another person whose thoughts change and go, the, the, the per person we marry or married goes down in their thought process because they lost the plot or they got depressed or they got miserable and we have to leave. We can't stay with that person who gets stuck and uh, otherwise we go into the averaging process and the thing we want becomes things we can't have. So this thought, the law of thought, and the law of vibration, this fourth law, takes everything psychology does, all the success training, all the sport medicine work, all the work on healing and love, all the work on human consciousness and focuses it on manifestation. And it's so powerful and so clever and so real that you come to realize why some people want something but never get it because they vibrate uh, 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 deliberately vibrate at the tone of other people around them rather than vibrate at the tone of the thing they want. The last law is the king of all the laws because it dominates everything. And I don't mean to be sexist when I say king. I'm, I just mean the top. And so we can call it king or queen. But this law is called the one and the many. And everything in nature works like this. There's a central central single dominant theme and there are many subordinate themes beneath it so there's always one leader in a in a nation and many followers there is never in a business two leaders if there is a business partnership one person leads the other one follows and if they try to be equal then the business will fail they've got it because two people cannot have a common mind and if two people are so much the same uh, as that they do have a common mind, one of those two people isn't necessary. That's a very important thing. So in politics, one person dominates, whether they do it by democracy or autocracy or, uh, or um, socialist systems, whatever it is, one person leads. And that's why when we have collective environments where people try to distribute power and make everybody feel like they own the thing, uh, own the uh, leadership, it doesn't work. So and there are subtle uh, hierarchies and there are formal hierarchies and the subtle one will always lead to the one and the many. And that's why we typically need one God or one 
religion or one philosophy or one star or one thing that, uh, and in my language, I would say one vision, one purpose that we follow and many goals. Many goals, many more habits. And this one and the many is really important because sometimes we make that one another human being. But that is really, really impractical. If we say the one thing that I that dominates my existence is my love for another human being, for one person. If that person goes left or right, your whole one becomes in, unstable. So the one has to be something that doesn't move, doesn't breathe, doesn't think, doesn't talk, doesn't smoke. It, it is the one, and we can make that one thing a fantasy, a goal, a vision, a purpose, whatever it is, but it's really important that it's not a human being. So the one and the many, uh, if you go in the forest, you'll see one dominant tree and many subordinate. If you go into an ant nest, you'll see one dominant ant or bees, one dominant queen. The one and the many plays is the organizing principle that creates the focus that allows the other four laws to fit into each other, to dovetail into a pattern. To, to an organized uh, an, an organized structure and this last law is the law that many people try to fight because they don't like authority so they don't want to therefore have their own their own authority and they don't want to appeal to an authority bigger than themselves the authority that I appeal to and suggest that it's really cool is are the five laws of nature the universal laws of nature because they don't move they're they exist everywhere. Every single person is exposed to them, and uh, they last. And they've stood the test of time, certainly for the last ten thousand years. So anyway, uh, that's it for the day. I, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. It's a little bit of a summary of where we're at, and uh, well, let's keep the good work going, guys. Bye for now.